Hello, and welcome to Firmly Grasp It, a podcast about sports and all its being. I am your host, Evan Greenberg. For today's episode, it's going to be a special one because we have no guests. For the first time ever in Firmly Grasp's history, your host, Evan Greenberg, myself, I will be the only one on here. And I guess before we get into anything else, I'll just peel behind the curtain why that is. Well, first of all, happy Friday, happy Friday. Hope you've had a good week so far. This should be the finality of your week, and then you'll have a great weekend. We'll see if the weather's nice and all that. If you've noticed on Wednesday's episode, we had a quickly grasp it without our co-host, Samuel Shwabke, the King of Jordan. This episode on Friday, we are without him. And then at least so far up to this point, one episode next week will be without him as well. There's no issues or anything. He's just has some tech issues at his home, so he has not been able to record this week. It's unfortunate I miss him, but we've been talking, we're planning, we have ideas, we know what we're doing for the next week and so on. As soon as he gets his connection back at his home and then we can start recording again. So that's just why I could have tried to find the guest sort of last minute because we had even an episode idea. He was expecting to get his Wi-Fi back. I'm recording this on Wednesday. He was hopefully going to get back Tuesday and we we're going to record an episode that night. But when the Wi-Fi didn't work, it is what it is, as they like to say couple other things I want to talk about. This is, this has been a weird hodgepodge of episodes. We started with our Black Lives Matter follow-up with Sarah El Bakri. I would 100% check that one out. Great episode, great interview. Sarah was incredible, gave a lot of good tips, resources, anything you need. Tuesday, we did our Mario Power Rankings with John Rivera, recurring guest. Wednesday, or quickly grasp it, we had a new guest. Matt Heller, we talked about goalie goals. That was a fun, different topic. And the interest, the research was pretty interesting. And I didn't realize how infrequently it happened until I was doing the research because he had brought it up as a potential topic about a month ago and we were trying to figure out a good time to have him on. Thursday's episode, we are, did a kind of intro to sports episode. We moved on to the ultimate Frisbee landscape where Ryan Nassini, a recurring guest, joined Sammy and I and we talked about a game that he is very formidable with played a lot if you make sure you listen to that episode make sure you listen to all the episodes we have plenty of episodes to firmly grasp it to catch up on if you are just joining us and today today on this special Friday I wanted to reflect on things that have just kind of ended and as of this recording as I mentioned on Wednesday the night before Tuesday night was the end of the basketball tournament, otherwise known as TBT. What is TBT, you may ask? It's a single elimination winner-take-all tournament that's begun in 2014 and has been going strong every summer since. It takes place in the doldrums of sports where you got baseball going on. I mean, usually we have baseball going on, this year being the exception. But no basketball, no football, no hockey. The number of teams change every year. It started with 32. It went all the way up to 97 in 2015 and then hovered between usually 64 and 72 since. This year was a little different. We only were down to 24 teams because of COVID. They wanted to restrict everything and they had a very tight bubble. But the beauty of this compared to the NBA bubble, the MLB doing their sites, or the MLB just doing whatever the MLB is doing, and the NHL having their two hub cities, is that with a single elimination, once a team's done, 
they're out. And it moves pretty quickly. It was only a battle week and a half long tournament. So the teams, you're at longest there two weeks because you have to get there earlier and quarantine and make sure you test negative. And it went pretty smoothly. There was one team early on that was kicked out because I believe someone on the team might have left the premises and they were very strict on that. They repeatedly showed it during the broadcast how they had cameras right around the exits of where they were staying. And if you left unattended to, you were kicked out and your whole team could get kicked out. And since it's a tournament that you kind of had to pay to get in and apply to get in, it's not like the NBA where there's so much money involved for all the teams that they can't really have any true consequences if players are breaking rules. You can isolate the player or suspend a player, but you can't really do anything to a team. For this, it's all about the teams wanting to get in itself. And we'll get into who, who these teams are, how they're comprised and all that stuff. It worked out really well. Like I said, there was the one team early. But other than that, there were no positive tests that I heard of. And it went really smoothly. A lot of games went on, a lot of good basketball. It's not obviously NBA level. It's arguably not even as fun as college basketball. Although there are some real quirks that make it fun. The rules, I guess we'll get into the interesting ones. The first one is that they play quote unquote four quarters and they're all about nine minutes long. It's not 10 minute quarters in, let's say, the WNBA or in women's college basketball or like in the NCA where it's two 20 minute halves. They do a lot of similar NCA rules. Another exception just being that there are six fouls like in the NBA to foul out instead of five. But it's college foul rules in terms of bonuses where once it's five fouls, it's or it's five fouls per quarter, and then it's one shot in the ball back. But the cool thing that the basketball tournament, TBT, I always want to say the TBT, but it doesn't work. You can't repeat the the, because the is already in the title. In TBT, they started if they started what's called the Elam ending. And if you watch the NBA All-Star game this past year in 2020, you saw what they, they did their own implementation of the Elam ending. And the Elam ending is that instead of just playing to a final time, you play to a final score. But it's not just like the game of 21 where you know when you're playing to 21. Each You can kind of implement it in each your own way. But since 2017, TBT has implemented the Elam ending. And their process is that the game plays, as we mentioned, nine-minute quarter, one, two, three. They start a nine-minute clock quarter, four. They go down to four minutes. Once you hit the four minute mark in the fourth quarter, there can be either a TV timeout or a team calls a timeout, whatever the first game break is. Once you hit that game break, it goes into a point limit or a point where certain points you have to reach. And that is eight points away from the team that is winning. So for example, if a team at the end of that, at the point of that four minute break is up, 72 68 the winning team has to reach 80 points both teams have to reach 80 points so the team that is at 68 they have to get to 12 points before the team with 72 has to get to 80 and it goes like that and you play until you get those eight points it could take three minutes it can take 30 minutes it really it doesn't matter anymore there's no clock at least there's there's a shot clock but there's no game clock and that's what makes it exciting the nba they did their fourth quarter it was, I believe, 24. It was first to 24 because it was in honor of Kobe. Elam Ending's been doing that plus eight 
since its inception in 2017 and it makes it for like really competitive games because you can't just dribble out the clock if you're up 10 you still have to score you could be up 20 for example you could be up 60 to 40 when you get to the under four minute mark but if you get cold you can't just hold the ball for 20 seconds and then chuck them a shot because if you're not scoring you're not winning the other team can get hot score some buckets and make it a game does it always work that way not necessarily. I believe in this tournament, no one came back from more than 12 points down when the beginning of the Elam ending, which is a good number. That means that team had to score 20 points while the other team had to only score eight and they were able to do so. It, it makes for some great reactions. You, you have every shot as a game winning shot. That's also pretty much the fun of it as well. We, the NBA one was boring because it was on a free throw. But a lot of these games, you're seeing game winning step back jumpers, you're seeing game winning threes, and it's a lot more exciting when you get to see game winning shots every single game as opposed to the nba where you have blowouts or guys just dribbling the ball as a second clock ticks down that's what makes it fun another thing that makes it fun if you're a sports fan and particularly if you love college basketball a lot of the teams are alumni groups of former college basketball programs some of the top teams like ohio state syracuse marquette Marshall, Illinois, and a bunch of others are just really alumni teams. I think Marshall also had a solid team this year. It's all these mostly alumni. They also will bring in other guys, but for the most part, it's a band of friends, a lot of people who have played together as well, reuniting for a chance to win a good amount of money. It was this year, it was $1 million just because it was only that 2014 pool, but the previous couple of years, it had been $2 million. And they team the players decide how they're going to split that up beforehand. It's usually either everyone gets an even amount or the starters will get a little more amount than the bench players. It really all depends on the team. They go into the tournament already knowing how that's going to work. So there's no fighting for you don't have to play harder to make more money. And there's no contracts, obviously. The team, they usually have a coach. They have a couple of. They have a head coach, maybe some sort of assistant or a GM, and then you have your roster set up. Before we get into this year's episode, I wanted to kind of go into the history of it. Because as I mentioned, it started in 2014. It wasn't, the idea was cool. I remember, I've watched it in some capacity pretty much every single year. 2018, when I was up working all the time and I just didn't even have a TV in my apartment, I did not watch any of it. But every other year, I've watched at least some of it. And the first year was a kind of wasn't the best quality of games. It was just getting used to everything you've watched, whether it's a TV show or you've watched any series where the first season is always kind of choppy compared to everything else. They're just figuring out the cameras, the technology, the players aren't as formidable because you just don't have a large base yet. And in that year, the Notre Dame alumni, but they weren't a lot of the good players that you would think about. There was no Luke Herringody or anybody like that. They took down uh, Team Barstool, which, yes, it is Barstool Sports were the owners of the team, I guess, or the general managers led by Dave Portnoy and Dan Katz, known as Big Cat. They they were on the they were technically on the team. They both scored. Big Cat scored three points in the whole tournament. Portnoy scored two. But they were led by former NBA longtime player Dante Jones. I thought when I was looking at the rosters now, Barstool's team was probably better than the Notre Dame alumni. But like we talked about, that camaraderie and playing together before has its advantages. Going into the following year, 2015, 
there was a team called Overseas Elite who was joining for the first time. And their group of players, they weren't from a specific college, but they're exactly what it sounds like. They had they weren't guys who were in the NBA, but it was a lot of guys who were some of the best players in different leagues all across Europe, whether it was Israel, Spain, Italy, France, China, Greece, you name it. These guys kind of floated around a lot of places, but were great wherever they went. And the trio of DJ Kennedy, who I knew from his St. John college ball days, Eric McCollum, who is, yes, the brother of CJ McCollum, and Kyle Fogg, the three of them together basically formed a dynasty. 2015 to 2018, you might know that as the Warriors, four years of their dynasty, at least the Warriors-Cavs series. Down in the TBT, down in TBT, Overseas Elite was dominating in a similar format, winning four straight years. And remember, if you lose once, if you have one bad game, you're out. This team led by those three guys, they had a couple of other players who have had maybe were decent. Genera Pargo, who had a cup of tea in the NBA and had a decent college career. He's been on that team for a few years as well. They were just dominant. They knew each other well. A lot of them were peaking around that 2013, 2014, 2015 years, winning MVP of their respective leagues and then just coming together and beating a lot of these other good teams. But the squads kept getting better and better, as I mentioned. A lot, one of the teams who's never won it but has been in contention year in and year out is called Bayheim's Army, and that is the Syracuse alumni, led by Eric Devendorf at this point. And then they've had a few other guys kind of come through the ranks. And another team, 2019, after a couple guys from overseas elite, McCall. With McCollum and Fogg, they both decided they were out for the year. McCollum was having a kid, and Fogg was just kind of wanted to focus elsewhere. They lost in the semifinals to Carmen's crew, who was an Ohio State alumni team, and they'd been around for a while. But this year, in 2019, they had really upped themselves. And they have a lot of guys, if you followed college basketball in the late 2000s, you know, Aaron Kraft, David Lighty, William Buford, all kind of leaders of that team. I believe Dallas Lauderdale might've been on that team as well. And they upset overseas elite. That was their first loss in TBT history. And then in the finals, they had a game against Marquette alumni led by Darius Johnson, Odom, Jamil Wilson and Mo Acker. And we'll talk about them a little bit more as we move on. And they were the champions. They got their first champion. And it was, it's been good so far. That was the first six years of the history, mostly dominated by overseas elite, but they're losing their grip a little bit. This year, the seedings came out, top four teams, or pretty much all the teams I mentioned, Carmen's Crew, Ohio State, the reigning champions, number one, overseas elite, who added longtime NBA player, multi-time NBA all-star, arguably NBA future Hall of Famer, and potentially trying to get back into the league, Joe Johnson. He was a 15-year NBA player. They had him on the team. They were one of the prohibited favorites. And then Bayheim's Army, as I mentioned, who's always competitive. And then that Golden Eagles team, who was a loser in the finals last year, was looking to redeem themselves. There were a lot of great players as well. You had the House of Pain, which was a lot of Illinois alumni, but they also had Mike Dom, the dominator from South Dakota State, who dominated College of Basketball for a couple of years. A couple of other teams had Ethan Happ was on a team, former Wisconsin Badger, 
a lot of guys that you've probably watched during if you follow college basketball in the last 10 to 15 years, you were seeing most games you would watch, you would see one of those players. And a team that nobody really saw coming, arguably the team of destiny in this tournament this year, was Sideline Cancer. They were the number 22 seed. And the way this tournament went was that the top eight seeds all got first round buys because they wanted to have nine through 24 play each other. Then you get eight and then all of a sudden you have a top 16. So one of the teams in that first round was sideline cancer. They were the 22 seed and they had to play team Hines and 11 seed in the first round, not even projected to win. They weren't expected to make it out of the first round in a really good back and forth game with team Hines end up winning by two 97 95 and moving on in that game it was really the coming out party of marcus Keene, five foot nine guard who went to central michigan i believe in 2014 2015 absolutely balled out there but as an undersized guard did not make it in the nba and has been floating around since he had a great game just nailing three step back jumpers really electric and even though it was the first round and you don't really take too much out of one game, people were looking at them a little more. The second round is where it got interesting. They took down Team Challenge ALS, which awful that in the quarterfinals or in the second round, you have teams that are both going for great causes. One sideline cancer, one Challenge ALS. that so They had to play each other. Kind of disheartening a little bit because you want the teams that are both fighting for a great cause. You want them to play a little later, maybe in the finals. But that's the way the cookie crumbled. And another time, another team, Challenge ALS, who's been very good for the last several years, they were once again upset by sideline cancer. This game, they had Morris Creek, Keen, as I mentioned, and then Jamel Artis, who you might know from his Pittsburgh days. They were kind of the big three in that game. Meanwhile... In that same round of 16, as I mentioned, House of Pain, led by Mike Dom, upset the number one seed Ohio State's former Ohio State alumni Carmen's crew. And that just opened the doors wide open because the number one seed out, the prohibited favorites at that point probably shifted if you're talking to people within the league or people who have been following it to overseas elite. Because as I mentioned, they had Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson was balling out just like he did in the Big Three last year, just like he did at many points in his NBA career. He looked like the best player in this entire league, and it wasn't looking like anybody was going to be able to stop him. So they moved on. Marquette moved on. Syracuse moved on. As I mentioned, Hassa Payne moved on. And we're on to the quarterfinals. In the quarterfinals, we had Bayheim's Army against Sideline Cancer. And Sideline Cancer blew them out. I was watching that game, and it was pretty embarrassing. Dorf was really the only player on Syracuse that could get anything going for them whatsoever. The rest of the team was just shut down. Artists played great defense all around. King was hitting a bunch of shots. Creek was hitting a bunch of shots, and they blew them out, and they were moving on to the semifinals. Unfortunately, at that point, House of Pain had lost. And at that so our final four, we had... Overseas Elite, who Joe Johnson had 35 in the quarterfinals. We had Sideline Cancer. We had the Golden Eagles. And we had one other team. Spoiler. Doesn't really matter. They lost because we had incredible matchup in the semifinals between Sideline Cancer, the 22 seed, and Overseas Elite, the 2 seed. Artists 
held Joe Johnson just to 16 points. A great back and forth game. Really just great game. Back and forth, going close, got to Elam ending. It was 75-74 overseas elite. And Creek are dribbling around. Keen's passing the ball. Creek gets it, dribbles the three-point line. Ducks under, gets around a screen, pops a three, buries it. 67-65, game-winning three. We have, honestly, a game that just is going to be remembered in the folklore of TBT. And sideline cancer, the Cinderella story, moving on to the finals, where they're going to face that Marquette team, the Golden Eagles, looking for redemption after their finals lost last year. And they got lucky because they didn't have to really face any of the top three teams. The fact that they uh, sideline cancer beat two of them. And then we mentioned Carmen's crew losing earlier. They had a pretty easy path up to this point, but Eagles are still a great team. They had, they're not the Dwayne Wade Marquette team, but the teams later on, as I mentioned, Mo Acker and I, I love short and cards. That's probably one of my favorite things when you, especially at the college level, because you know these guys probably aren't going to make it in the NBA just because they're lack of size. You have the occasional Nate Robinsons, of course, Isaiah Thomases, But for the most part, the undersized point guard, unless they're super athletic, like those other two guys I previously mentioned were, they're not going to cut at the NBA level because they just can't hang defensively. They're just, think about it. You have an NBA point guard that's six inches taller than them. And if they're more athletic, you just don't stand a chance. Mo Acker, 5'8", 5'9". Marcus Keene, as I mentioned, 5'9". Just a couple of short point guards leading their team, being that steady hand, hitting clutch shots. Marcus Keene was Mr. Clutch in this tournament. Had two game winners and two assists in the Elam endings coming into the finals. And this game, great back and forth. As I mentioned, Marquette took a nice lead at the half. They were up double digits, but sideline cancer fought back. And when we got to that under four in the fourth quarter... It was 70 to 70. At that point, we have Marquette getting an inbounds pass bucket. We had a three by over or by sideline cancer. Marquette comes back with another three. And then 75-73, dribbling around a couple missed shots back and forth. And we get to the point where 38-year-old Travis Diener, former oldest player on Marquette, had almost he wasn't going to play this year. And he didn't honestly do too much in the entire tournament. In the semifinals, he had zero points. But he was in at the lamenting point. As I mentioned, wasn't going to play. The GM of the team actually just added him to the roster. Didn't even tell him until afterwards that he added him. So he just decided to show up. And sitting in the corner after some good ball movement, Diener got the ball on the right corner, popped the three, buried it, championship over, market Golden Eagles, 2020 TBT champions avenging their loss of the previous year, getting their first title. And it was sad. I was watching, they were showing Mo Creek on the floor crying for several minutes after the game, just so heartbroken. That team fought so hard and came so close to winning it all. They were the team that I'd probably been rooting for the most. I like a good Cinderella story. And the fact that they'd beaten teams that I felt were better, both Bayhives Army and Overseas Elite were better teams. But Marquette had a great tournament. Darius Johnson Odom was tournament MVP. He just is great all around, really solid player, a small combo, small forward who can score, who can rebound, pass. And this kind of 
tournament is one of the best athletes as well. So that was the end of it this year. A lot of fun. If you you can go to the TBT website, just look up the basketball tournament and you can go to their link. You can get box scores. You can see some clips, some reactions. You can watch that game winning shot by Diener. You can watch the game game winning shot by Creek. You can see Marcus Keene's heroics earlier in the tournament. And if you haven't watched it up to this point, it's a great way to get into sports over the summer and just have something to watch, especially. I mean, you miss this year, this year, unless things go bad in future years with COVID or anything else that you just never know at this point. But this year we needed sports more than ever, unless the Premier League, you follow more on the weekends. If you watch any other league, I guess you had the opportunity to watch it. But for as a U.S. citizen who sometimes is just home on an evening with nothing to do, putting on TV, putting on ESPN and being able to watch basketball sort of as an appetizer for what we're about to get with the return of baseball coming next week, basketball the week after, and hockey, which has been recently announced, is going to be starting August 1st, right after the NBA restart as well. So we're going to have three sports in full swing by August 1st, and I cannot wait. I'm just hoping and hoping that all these leagues are able to successfully make through. Other than that, that's pretty much it for the TBT or TBT. I'm, I told you I'm never going to get that right. A couple of things I wanted to clean up with. Next week, we are going to be doing an NBA preview, as I just mentioned, NBA season coming back July 30th. And we haven't given you too much on that. So the next week is going to be chock full of going through the 22 NBA teams in a different variety of ways. On Monday, we're going to have a couple guests talking about the true title contenders of this upcoming 2020 season. We have eight regular season games in the playoffs. The teams that we feel are not necessarily the favorites, but have a decent chance of winning the title. We go through reasons why they can win and why they should win it, reasons why they shouldn't. We throw out a few potential wildcard teams as well. That one's a good one. On Tuesday will be the middle class, the teams that, aren't necessarily looking at titles this year, but the teams who are hoping that they can win a round or two in the playoffs. And we're going to kind of go about how we expect, how we expect them to do, how we're, how they can improve maybe this off season or what they can do to elevate themselves into the true contenders next year, if that's possible. And if not, how long do we see where they are lasting before they have, they kind of fall through the cracks because especially in the West, there are just so many competitive teams that if you slip, if you lose one player, whatever in them being, you could be on the wrong side of the playoff bubble this upcoming year or next year. And then on Wednesday, we'll have a quickly grasp it. Thursday will be the battle for the eight seeds which in the East is only three teams and not that exciting between the Nets, the Magic, and the Wizards. The West is the one more exciting one, which is the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Blazers, the Kings, the Suns, the Spurs. And we'll just go into all those teams, talk about how each of those teams, what their likelihood of making it this year. We'll talk about their chance for upward mobility in future years. And we'll get into if we believe any of those teams can make an impact for this playoffs, 
the most of them are going to be a best. Any of them, if they make it, are going to be best in eight seed. But do they have a chance against the Lakers, who are the uh, most likely one seed? That is something we will discuss on Thursday. And then Friday will be a predictions time, similar to what we did for our baseball preview. We will go through just a variety of topics within the return, who we think is going to lead in points, who we think is going to lead in assists, playoffs MVP, finals MVP, who's going to make the finals, who's going to win the finals, are there going to be any upsets? Is there going to be any big injuries or big COVID-related problems? How is that, if we have that, how will that impact what's going on? We're going to get into all of that and more. So make sure you're subscribed to Firmly Grasp wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Grasp 2020, Instagram at Grasp 2020 as well. Follow us on Facebook, Firmly Grasp It. And you can email us any questions or comments, graspit2020 at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon.